episode seven of the Connecting Construction podcast. I'm your host, Evan Hill, along with Matthew Sprague and Dan Connery. Dan Connery is out this week, and he will be sorely missed. Um, he's a highly desirable and highly busy man these days, so you are left with the two musketeers that is Matt and I to co-pilot this episode for your enjoyment. Uh, quick couple of items before we get started. Uh, two weeks ago, we had Tim Hale. Deputy Executive Director of the Contra Costa Transportation Authority on the show. Uh, really sort of like a technology-minded, cutting-edge type of guy when it comes to both transport, the future of transportation as well as, as well as what that means for the construction industry and how that's impacting owners as well as contractors. We talked everything from autonomous vehicles to um, future of innovation when it comes to transportation in- infrastructure. So... That was episode six. It's available on both Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. Highly recommend you go back and listen to it. It's even on SoundCloud. If you're a SoundCloud guy or gal, it's there too. So we, we've been getting a lot of views actually, surprisingly, from the SoundCloud. Right? So keep it up. It's always going to be available there every two weeks. So with that said, let's, let's jump into episode seven today. So I am going to welcome Steve Jones to... The show today. Steve is the Senior Director of Industry Insights at Dodge Data and Analytics. And if I'm not mistaken, you've been there for 17 years. You're a veteran, as far as I know. Is that right? Uh, I guess I am. I mean, there's folks who've been at Dodge, I think, since the dawn of time. Uh, sure. They made me look like a newbie. But uh, yeah, 17 years is not quite the longest I've ever worked anywhere, but it's getting there. <laughs> well, I, I gave the audience the you know short introduction from your name and your title, but why don't you give us a little bit better of understanding who you are, both as a professional and as an individual? Um, sure. I've been in the construction industry my entire career. Um, I spent about 20 years in architecture and engineering. I was a principal with a, a large firm in the Northeast who had seven offices, 1,000 people. Um, they were merged into Stantec when Stantec made its big push into the United States. That's not now all part of that Stantec empire. Um, at the near the end of the century, I, I enrolled in um, the executive MBA program at Wharton because I was in Philadelphia. Um, that was a, a very formative experience for me because you know, it really helped me understand a lot about uh, businesses in general. Um, and I made the decision that at the end of, by the end of the century, I, I wanted to get into other sorts of businesses. And so I, an opportunity came up with a classmate of mine, actually, who had just been hired by Primavera, you know, the scheduling app. And um, I spent four years as the vice president of Primavera. That was certainly the most formative um, experience I had because, you know, you're running a, a pretty successful firm in a market. You think you know the business. You think you know how it all works. And suddenly you're on an airplane and you're, and you're sitting down with people in Bahrain doing nuclear power plants and things. And you're going, oh man, this is the global construction industry is a big deal because really there's nobody in the world doing a big project that isn't using Primavera. So I suddenly had entree to all these amazing uh, people and places and projects and stuff. And it, that was a great experience for me. And it prepared me well for what I've been doing for the last, uh, as you know, 17 years at Dodge. You know, we're the biggest uh, business intelligence firm in the industry, and I run our research group, Industry Insights Research. So it's been extremely informative for me to have that, have had that experience in the truly the global construction industry. 
um, to be able to then do the kind of research that, that we do. Because uh, we are the biggest industry on the planet Earth by a big measure. Not in the United States. Healthcare is bigger, but that's a whole nother podcast for you. Um, but the construction industry, I mean, if aliens came from outer space and landed here and wanted to report back to the mothership, they'd say these, these carbon-based bipeds, all they want to do all day long is knock stuff down and put stuff up. And that's what they do. Um, but it is so fragmented and it's, it's understudied. And as you know, it's underinvested in, in terms of research and, and development of products and all of that. Um, it's huge, but it's, it's, it's not that well understood. And so we have the very fortunate position of being able to, to be funded by folks like you and others to go out and do these very quantitative studies of, of all the trends that are happening, all the things happening in technology, all the things that are transforming every aspect of practice and, and project delivery processes, all about sustainability, um, you know, how to wrestle with risk, how to wrestle with safety, how to wrestle with uncertainty on, on projects that we do. It's just a fascinating place for me to be, and it really is, is, is kind of a good um, capstone to everything that I've done along the way, um, and I'm just enjoying the heck out of it. Well, Steve, one thing that I appreciate about your role, and you sort of mentioned it, uh, the construction industry is historically, um, and I, I'm not going to, you know, broad stroke paint the picture here, but it's been a historically stagnant industry, sort of resistant to innovation and adoption of new technology. So the one thing I appreciate about your role is you have a very close pulse on new innovations, new trends, emerging technologies. Um, really, you're able to provide close observations on what's happening both on the contractor as well as the owner side within construction. Uh, one of the topics we wanted to talk about on today's show is, or are those emerging trends that, you, that you're noticing? So you provided us with you know, sort of a stack rank of, you know, the top trends you're noticing within construction today. Is there one of you, is there one of those you want to start off with and, and tell us a little bit about why it's important and why it matters to you? Yeah, I, I think the shift from analog to digital and then the associated integrated digitally based workflows, that's the key to everything else. Everything else is built on top of that. Um, I was, you know, uh, as I like to, to ask my audiences, how many folks you ever drafted? You know, and I'll get about a third of the audience sticks their hand up. You know, I mean, that's how I got in the business. I was drafting. Um, my firm was one of the early adopters of CAD. And so I, I did get experience with CAD. Um, and then um, my firm was then we were a Bentley shop at the time. And Bentley came to us and said, look, we've just bought this tool called Triforma. And it does what's, and didn't even have a name for building information modeling at the time. They called it object-oriented design. Uh, would you please try it? You know, we'll set you up with the software for free. Um, we just want you to do a project. And so we did a 90,000 square foot office building with it. And that was in the 90s. And it was like, oh, uh, this is really, really interesting. Because now this is all about the information you're putting into these objects. You don't have to sit there and wonder, did I draw it enough times that every single trade is going to get it? that I give enough views, that I got, it was revelation uh, for us. And so we, as a firm, got very excited about what then ultimately became uh, known as BIM and is now largely just known as modeling with, with whatever sort of uh, vertical you have me working in. But I think that has been the biggest and most important transformation, moving from analog with just a bunch of drawings and a bunch of prints of things to truly digital information. We're really at the beginning. I think we're about... 
10 years into what will be a 30-year complete and total transformation, unrecognizable for what this industry looks like when we truly have a connected data environment, you know, 20 years from now that everybody's working in. And it'll be kind of like with, with my kids when I tell them that we used to have to stand in line in a little building that closed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and wasn't ever open on weekends to get your own money because there weren't things called ATMs. And they look at me, sure, Dad. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, they, 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 they can't believe it. I mean, it's going to be so pervasive and it's going to be so natural and intuitive. People won't believe that, you know, things got built the way they did for all the years. And so I think this shift to modeling and then what you're seeing now with these integrated digital workflows, because so many of the problems that, that occur are because there's information gaps between players. And there could be 30 key players on a major project. And if you've got information gaps, that's basically where everybody ends up worrying about and putting out fires based on information gaps. I built the wrong thing. I built off an old drawing. What all those kinds of things. Now we're getting this integration of this digital workflow. It's just a beautiful thing to be part of and to be watching. And I know you guys are totally committed to that and are one of the drivers, you know, helping to make it happen, giving people the tools. But I think that's so exciting. And everything else now is based on, geez, now that we have data, what else can we do with it? Yeah, so Steve, so uh, you, you, you're talking about the, the, the move from analog to digital, and, and like you said, it's a 30-year journey, we're 10 years, 10 years in. Um, can you correlate that to what your perception is of the uh, uh, percentage of the industry that's a actually maybe not necessarily ahead of the curve, but with the curve. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, with the curve. We do surveys all the time um, in, in all kinds of countries, and we're just launching right now a BIM adoption in 13 countries. Um, you know, So early next year, we're going to have a good sense of where we are across 13 of the major construction economies in the world. But based on the things that we've been doing and been seeing, um, in general, the vertical side is ahead of the horizontal side, the infrastructure side, the heavy civil side. <clears throat> but even the heavy civil side is beginning to catch up rather quickly. Um, there's very few firms left who've never done any projects involving modeling um, on the vertical side. About a quarter of the firms on the heavy civil infrastructure side have still never worked on a project where um, significant amount of work is being modeled. Um, and, and that will, I think, just by the nature of the fact that one of the good things is that we keep switching teams around on projects, right? You, you get a new project, you're going to work with different people. Well, there you're going to walk into a project where it's going to start to be required. And we also track requirements. Who's got requirements and how do they, uh, the degree to which they enforce those requirements, um, and among who, right? What are architects doing with their engineers? What are GCs and CMs doing with their trades? Um, kind of like wearing a mask now with COVID, that's kind of a thing you gotta do. You gotta have requirements and they don't have to be uh, mandates, but they do need to be based on some standards and some guidelines and uh, BIM execution plans so that people know what they're supposed to do with models, right? Um, I think that will be ultimately what drives uh, yeah, the 95% um, uh, involvement. And what, we, what we've seen since the beginning of tracking is that once a firm starts to work with it, they don't want to work the old way. You don't have people who want to back out. 
people go, oh my gosh, what more can I do? How can I start doing this? And, you know, uh, uh, the human resource constraints are the biggest thing. I got to find more people who I can have on my team and know how to do this stuff. Um, and so I think we're probably three quarters to, to 80% of the way through that kind of initial cusp of getting players so that they're comfortable doing this stuff and they're doing it on enough of their project that it's becoming standard operating procedure. So one thing you mentioned sort of at the beginning of uh, your answer to my question was how this industry has changed in the past 20 years and what it'll look like in the next 10 to 20 years. You mentioned sort of this connected vision, um, especially from a data perspective. We obviously have our own feelings about what that looks like and how that is going to drive efficiency and productivity for the for the owner and the contractor. Let, I want to I want to unpack that just a little bit deeper. What what do you mean by that sort of connected construction vision in the next twenty years? Uh, let's unpack that. What does that mean? Yeah, um, when there is um, a truly connected fully connected data environment in which everybody's working. And I want to include design professionals in this too, you know, that, that being my background, but it's also, I think, an extremely important part of the puzzle here. Um, to be able to rely on data sets, right, and not some kind of just a written program from an owner, but beginning to be able to harvest things that were done successfully from other buildings because you now have benchmark data available to you to be able to take advantage of computational and generative design and artificial intelligence so that you're not starting from scratch every single time um, and trying to figure out, well, what sort of base sizing works with this seismic environment I'm sitting on and with this program requir requirements and, and having to guess work your way through that. There's, there's just going to be an enormous amount of useful data that's available to you that can really help you design. I'm not going to say you're going to push a button and get a building out of it. That's, uh, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. <clears throat> but you can certainly get an awful lot of key information. You can get a short list of really good solutions to begin to work with, right, with your structural base sizing to begin with and then going all the way through the whole detailed design and be in touch with the supply chain the whole time to know, well, I don't want to run into an availability problem with anything, right? So make sure anything I'm looking at is available within the time frame I have to deal with on this project, right? And so just, just the far more intelligent um, decision-making that can be supported all the way through because you, you, from any device you will have, and God knows what devices will look like over that period of time, but from whatever device you're using to, to generate design, um, to be able to do that so much more intelligently <clears throat> and engaging that supply chain, right? Engaging the, the, the people with real constructability knowledge. But of course that constructability knowledge is also going to get more and more baked into these knowledge bases, right? So people aren't going to make all the dumb mistakes that keep getting made and unfortunately still keep getting made all the time. Um, there'll also be a lot more automation around the control of modeling. Unfortunately, today, I think the iceberg in the harbor that nobody wants to talk about, except me, me and a small handful of others, is really poor quality modeling that's going on out there. Um, just because you use one of the major brands of modeling tools does not mean that you're making a good model. 
right? Because you have to really understand how to populate that information in it, and it has to work with all the other objects in the model. Um, it's it's frightening. We did a um, a little experiment with one of the big outsourcing uh, companies that had uh, they had over a hundred models, and they were convinced that it was a, it was a um, cloud-based estimating tool. Um, you probably heard of them assemble. Um, but we, uh, we asked them to take a look at a whole bunch of their level 300 allegedly models and try and do some takeoffs for us, you know, because we wanted to see you know, in a typical hospital how many, you know, toilet partitions are there, things like that. And when they got in those models, the, the way they were constructed was just frighteningly bad. Um, and so I think, again, that this, the quality of the modeling itself is going to improve. Um, it, it just has to in order to, to keep this whole thing moving forward. Um, but I think with AI and with generative and computational design, with uh, better data sets to draw off of, and with better understanding of what really is a meaningful model for everybody down that chain, now we're gonna to start to produce models that are so much easier to build than ever before. You're gonna see then, of course, uh, modular and offsite are growing like weeds. We just did a report and it's up on our, our site. I'll plug our site because all these things are free. Um, if you go to construction.com slash toolkit slash reports, you'll see probably 50 different reports that we've done. They're all free. Please take advantage of them. Everybody is listening. It's a resource for everybody. Um, but just on the state of modular and prefab right now, it is really exciting. Uh, so, I, I, but again, without modeling, you know, you'd be doing these things one off at a, at, and drawing them. This is another thing which is really going to be driven and explosively by the fact that we're working digitally now um, and driving that. So, Steve, it's interesting. So, this is more of a comment that, than a question that the um, – Call it incomplete or the poor models that you're referring to kind of makes sense in terms of the uh, the maturity of the use of BIM. Uh, and like you said at the beginning, there is a, 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 a portion of the market that is making it a requirement. And then therefore, there's a portion of the market that is utilizing that as a checkbox. Like, OK, good. Yeah, I have a model here. Here, here it is. Um, but there was, in my opinion, there was a, a lack of understanding of really what that model is going to be used for. Uh, so therefore the, you know, the low quality, poor models out there were probably, you know, good enough to kind of check that box, but not understanding that really BIM is just a, a part in, in a complex, you know, product that we will all be utilizing uh, you know, call it three, five, ten, ten years from uh, ten years from now. That it's just kind of one of the tools that'll be utilized to basically en enable this really smart, efficient way uh, of 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 design through operation of a building. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, and I, I like to compare us to the UK because um, the UK took five years to build out a whole program to tell everybody, this is what level two BIM is. This is what we, exactly what you want, you want to be doing. This is, we're going to help you get trained. We're going to help you get the software. Here's all the standards that we want you to use. They took five years to do that before they started saying, okay, anything that's central government funded now is going to be at least level two BIM. And they've, they've found a lot more success a lot more quickly than we did 
there's nobody in the federal government, I mean, who could even spell them. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> there's no construction czar. There's nobody helping us from the top. This is all kind of a street level revolution that's happening. A firm at a time, um, a project at a time. We're all feeling our way. And industry associations are trying to fill the gap. You guys are trying to help to fill the gap. I'm trying to do what I can do to help fill the gap. But it's a big gap, um, as you point out. And an awful lot of people will just say, yeah, we bought the software, therefore we do BIM. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to, as an industry, guide ourselves through a better job of doing this. And, and um, other than the U.K., there aren't a whole lot of other central governments. You know, Singapore's done some stuff. Hong Kong's done some stuff. But... There's not a lot of, uh, you know, that sort of federal level really trying to organize it. So I, I have high hopes that the UK can be um, a good model for, for many of the rest of us. So um, one of the <clears throat> one of the things that I feel is like the next manifestation of of BIM. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, it, yes, it'll be utilized in this, but more of the the thing that is a little bit unknown, but people are starting to talk about or have been talking about. Uh, and Steve, you and I chatted about this be, be a little bit before before the show, but is the the digital twin. It seems like it's a it's a it's a buzz buzzword that's going around right now. But a lot of the conversation I have around it is what what's the definition? Like, what does it mean? And I feel like it, it means different things to, to different people, uh, you know, to different parts of the, uh, the organizations that are part of the different uh, parts of the, of the building life cycle. So in, in, in your opinion, like, what's, what is the definition of, of digital twin uh, from where you sit? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you, you're spot on with the fact that this thing we're calling a digital twin and kind of expecting to be one thing is by its nature going to look slightly different to the vice president of real estate versus um, somebody in charge of maintenance of the MEP systems. And it should. The point being though, that they're all drawing off of one reliable central database of accurate information. And anytime they do anything, they update it, right? That will be the key. The, the maintenance of the thing is going to be really the, probably the single most important um, aspect of it, that it has to be kept current. Um, but going all the way back to why um, model-based design is, is so important is you're populating all these objects with the relevant information, a whole lot of stuff that gets used by various players along the way, by contractors, by trade contractors, by suppliers, it gets flushed out because that's not really the the important aspect uh, for those long-term owner operators. But those long-term owner operators, there be a lot of different stakeholders who have different data set needs. And so just like we're trying to get good now at making models for design and construction so that they have the data sets that are extractable and usable for various workflows by various players, there'll be some art and some science to figuring out all right, what are the data sets that are going to be most meaningful for, you know, the top five players who are going to use this from the owner-operator end, and then the next five, and then the next five. And so it's there are permanent assets that are maintained. And, you know, frankly, I think that is going to be a, a business for a, a number of people is maintaining those assets on behalf of 
owners. I think that that's a, that's what I tell audiences. That's a, that's a coming business opportunity right there if you get good at it now and set yourself out to do it. Oh yeah, you could be able to. You could manage any number amount of buildings. I mean, with all of the the Internet of Things devices out there. So before you you had mentioned devices, and I and my I perked up. Like that's that that's the major. I I think the the major difference between um, the the BIM as it started, uh, BIM as it exists today, and BIM of what it will be in in five years from now. It is the acceptance and usage of devices that are creating the unstructured data. Uh, like we have, we have all of these different sensors and things all over the place that are creating data that is just lost in the ether. Uh, and now it is being able to realize to, you know, like if, if the models are created correctly and connected correctly, now everything can really be not only a digital twin, but it, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's a, a truly smart model and it's living and breathing. So you, you, you're right that, that people could manage any number of facilities because they're not having to go out and, and check on the HVAC system. The HVAC system is going to be talking to them, <laughs> telling them, hey, this needs to be replaced. Oh, my warranty is about up and all those type of things. So it's a very exciting time. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. And just like we're beginning to see data that's available to designers to be able to optimize and to benchmark and to, you know, look at what best of class solutions are, this will be the same thing for these owner operators, you know, they'll be able to benchmark themselves in real time against a building that looks almost identical to theirs. Am I operating the same on 50 different metrics? Um, you're going to see the ability now to be way smarter about running these assets. It, it, it's an, this is such an exciting time. Um, and this, this industry really will be unrecognizable in another couple of decades. So that's a good sort of evolution or, or pathway to the next part of our conversation here. Obviously, from our side, Trimble, uh, we're uniquely interested in emerging technologies and innovation, both from you know, a software perspective, a hardware perspective. We just had somebody on uh, a couple of weeks, Abiyad Almagor, uh, who is the Senior Director of Emerging Technologies at Trimble, who works with um, Austin Dynamics. And they're developing Spot the Robot Cog and other sorts of robots that will, you know, work directly on the job site and have a direct impact on manual tasks, being able to increase, you know, efficiency, productivity, all that type of stuff, almost like a almost like a right-hand dog to, to a contractor on the job site. So uh, that was a long-winded way of saying what emerging technologies have caught your eye. So we covered the trends portion of the conversation, but what sorts of, it could be software, it could be hardware, it could be something else. What sort of caught your eye there? Yeah, I think there's uh, a lot that will be happening uh, with automation. Um, but I, I also think that you're going to see some interesting advances in 3D printing. Um, if you're familiar, especially with this MX3D outfit in Amsterdam that can print structural strength metal steel right before your eyes. Um, they're the guys who, who used um, generative design to design a bridge that 
goes that they built over a canal. They started with a, a metal 3D printer at either end, and they just went out cantilevered and met in the middle. Um, the ability to create that um, is that's sort of like automation on steroids. Um, <clears throat> I think that's going to be pretty exciting. I also think that um, th there's a company um, that I think has solved. I, I like companies that solve really practical problems by applying technology to them, um, as opposed to technology looking for a solution, <laughs> which there's unfortunately too much of it out there, shiny objects waving in everybody's face all the time. Um, but there's a company out of Chicago that uh, came out of the University of Illinois there called Reconstruct. There's, you know, much like the um, IoT devices uh, that you mentioned that are collecting so much data nobody knows what to do with, every job site collecting photos, videos, scans all the time, and they're just like piling up in some dusty corner somewhere. They're not connected. Uh, these guys have figured out how to take any of these sorts of images that you have and actually connect them into the model so that now you have a magic time machine. I mean, if your supervisor goes around the job site at the end of the day um, with one of these you know, $300 panorama cameras and just captures what got done that day, um, and then you're combining that you know, with all the site camera stuff and the drone flyovers and every, all these other things, you can basically go back in time to any spot on that job on any time during uh, the project to see exactly what the state was at that point, right? And so not only is it good as a sort of a daily dashboard of where we are in terms of pro uh, productivity and, you know, what's behind, what's ahead, are there any errors, et cetera, but you've got this incredible record, a uh, visual record of the entire process. It's just such a, uh, we already have this content. They just figured out how to make it absolutely really useful. And I love technologies like that. You know, a company called Reconstruct. Check them out. I am now. <laughs> I, I, love I love it because we, we, were, we were kind of in, in imagining when, when Evan just mentioned um, Spot the Robot Dog from Boston Dynamic, um, we, I was lucky enough to... Um, get a live demonstration with him at our at our um office in, in colorado and it was interesting so he was essentially had um a, a, a total station uh, as a payload uh, uh connected to him and essentially the idea is that 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 spot would learn a certain routine to go around a job site and do a do a scan for you know for, mm -hmm. for progress and, and whatnot, which is, but you're right. There are there are there are different video cameras there. There are drones that can fly uh, fly over, and it's and it's really about stitching all of that together that makes it super powerful. Exactly, stitching it all together. Yeah, and you know, it, it's just it's a simple idea. I'm sure it was difficult to do, but I just love things like that. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's continue the conversation to the connected worker and the connected job site. We spoke about it a little bit earlier. We touched on it um, on that vision a little bit, but paint that picture for me, uh, Steve. What what is the connected worker and what is the connected job site? Why does it matter, and how will it impact construction? Well, the connected worker, uh, a great example is you know these. 
I'm not here to pitch Microsoft's HoloLens, but um, that seems to be one of the more popular devices that's getting used with this mixed reality. Um, but to be able to, to be on the job site and to be able to see what existing conditions in front of you that you have to deal with and then overlay on that um, anything out of the model, um, any, of the, any of the aspects that need to get built that day, uh, what the final uh, appearance is going to be, um, yeah, any aspect that you want to say. Because again, it's all just digital information available instantly. But to be able to give that to you visually, because we are visual creatures, right? Um, I think that's in, in, incredibly powerful. I, I don't know if you've seen what um, uh, the um, – John Blank on the name of the contractor. They're an interiors contractor in the Bay Area. Um, might be Miller. Um, at any rate, they did one of these things with a, a hollow lens, and they brought a guy who had been one of their framers for years. He had moved up into the office and hadn't been on the job site in like, like five years. They brought him into a room. They basically stuck one of these things on him, and they said, here, frame out this bathroom pot. You have no tape measure. You have no drawings. All you have is what you see through it, and you can see where every framing piece is supposed to go, and they timed him. He was great. And, and this was a, not a, a digital native. This was an old baby boomer like me. Right? And, you know, he just did great. Uh, things like this, I think, uh, connecting the worker in context, right? Bringing context, immediate, appropriate context to what they call the work face, right? I just think that's going to be so exciting. You know, that's what I think of as the connected worker. And then the connected job site itself. Oh, there's so many things going to work. Uh, beginning, we're going to launch in about another month, um, a dedicated website on construction.com just called the Smarter Job Site. And we're going to have all of our reports there that um, feature things, all these things that are happening at the job site. We're going to be generating new research reports just about all the cool things that are happening on the job site itself. Um, uh, yeah, some of the things that, that, that people are doing with cameras and workers and Tracking, you know, second to second productivity against the schedule, looking for ergonomic issues. You know, you see somebody bending over and you go, that's, you know, going to be a claim. It's going to be a workman's comp claim the next time this, this person does that stuff. I mean, there's so much detail that you can now get into because you have access to the data and things are connected to be for suppliers. We have like 5,000 building product manufacturers at Dodge who are our customers. Um, they feel a little left out of this because so much of the focus has been on what are the architects doing with the contractors and what are the contractors doing to deliver stuff to the owner. But these are important suppliers, right? Um, they want to get involved in supporting offsite construction and supporting just-in-time delivery, supporting way smarter materials management. Um, I saw a study a few years ago said the typical piece of const uh, construction uh, product or, or material that's going to get installed gets moved seven times before it gets installed. Oh, that's productive. <laughs> you know, uh, how can we be smarter about all that stuff? And then, of course, you've got the robots, and of course, you've got um, the sensors that, uh, you know, Triax is doing a nice job putting sensors on the job uh, to see where, where crews are, what they're doing, how, how they're queuing up um, the safety issues, things like that. There's, there's a lot of really cool applications going on to make this job site something that we can all be much prouder of as part of our industry, as opposed to being the place where everybody worries the most about, right? That was where for any architect, I mean, that's where your job 
was going to get in trouble. That's where workers get hurt, right? That's where the delays happen. That's where the mistakes happen. Um, it's, it's the biggest area that, that we can make improvements to. And all these technologies are now sort of leaving the office and the trailer and they're coming to the job site. This is an amazing time for that. And I'm looking forward to kind of honchoing this Smarter Job Site um, uh, website and sharing as much of this information as possible. Because again, people don't know. Um, you're working on the jobs you have. You see what's right in front of you. Um, a lot of these people don't have time to go to conferences, um, and things like that. So uh, anything that we can do to help them understand, look, here, we've gone out and studied this. Here's what the best people say that they're doing, and they're getting these benefits over this time with this kind of an investment, and this is what you got to expect it's going to take to do. Boom. Go forth and prosper. Steve, that was a perfect conclusion to our conversation. But before I let you go, I want to I want to just pick your brain on one last thing, and I didn't prompt you with the podcast you know, with this question before the podcast. So my apologies. So what's on deck for you guys at Dodge Data and Analytics? Is there anything you guys can share that you're passionate about that you're working on right now or in the near future? Um, anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, as I've said before, please, uh, anybody who's not familiar with these reports that we do, go to construction.com slash toolkit slash reports, and you'll see all these things. We are uh, developing more and more of um, what I call the really kind of vertically focused uh, things, which are series. Uh, we do a commercial contractor quarterly survey where we hit the commercial contracting industry every quarter that put their thumb right on the pulse of what their business health is like, what their workforce issues are, what their backlog is like, what their revenue is like, what their profits are like. Um, what, what things they're, they're wrestling with. Um, and that's hidden in streets every quarter. Boom, boom, boom. We're doing the same thing now on the heavy civil side. We started it, uh, we're getting ready to bring out our third issue of this now called the civil quarterly. Um, and we do the same thing with the civil, uh, civil engineers and, um, civil contractors, right? What's keeping you up at night? You know, how's your backlog? How's your revenue? What are the issues that you're dealing with? Um, we have interviews with owners and, and, interesting sidebar features that we have that, that really try and help everybody understand that whole aspect of our industry. Because again, you know, you're working on the projects that you have on your plate. That's what you, that to you is what the world is. Uh, the degree to which we can stretch that for you and show you what everybody's doing and what's working and what isn't working for everybody else. It's just going to make all of us better, faster. And you know, this smarter job site, we have the same idea with that. Um, it's just going to be one central place where everybody can go get this stuff for free, download it, see what is happening on all these amazing aspects. And so we're going to be increasingly doing these sort of very focused vertical, either repeat things or centralized sources of things. Again, the whole point being help the industry understand more broadly than just the handful of projects they happen to be working on, because there's very little other way to know about that stuff in a way that you can trust, right? From an objective third-party player like ourselves, we don't have a product to sell. We got no ax to grind. We're just trying to be absolutely objective and quantitative in our research and share it with everybody as much as we possibly can and talk with folks like you. And, you know, thank you so much for having me on. Steve Jones, the Senior Director of Industry Insights at Dodge Data and Analytics. Thank you so much coming on the Connect, Connecting Construction podcast today. Uh, Steve, one last thing for you, one last request. If anybody wants to get in contact with you, where can they find you? How can they reach you? Um, Steve.Jones at construction.com. 
24-7. I have my phone with me all the time. So please reach out. Um, as you can tell, I'm into this stuff, and I love to talk <laughs> about it. And I love to meet people who do this stuff. This is my life, and I'm having a blast. So please reach out. Let's talk. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. You are definitely going to have to be a, a repeat guest. So expect an invite from us down the line, Steve. Uh, that is episode seven of the Connecting Construction podcast. I'm your host, Evan Hill, along with Matt Spray and Dan Connery. We'll see everyone in two weeks.